Ushers, if you'll come forward, we'll share in our offering. And a good morning to you. Glad you've chosen to come. Sunshine's out. Let's enjoy it while we've got it. Won't last long, but it's here right now. So let's just seize that moment. A couple things for you real quickly before we get into the message. First of all, uh, any one of you that gave uh, school supplies, backpacks, water bottles, whatever it is you brought, thank you for doing that. It's huge. Yesterday was the day. Uh, three, I mean, I think over 100 more backpacks and things for this year than we had last year. Uh, I got a note from Pastor Matt that said, you know, a little worried about whether they'd all go because the weather of course was the weather uh, and looked like a kind of a daunting day but the people showed up we went through just about everything that was given we have some things left over that we'll be giving to different agencies to be able to participate in but that's all you that is all the body of Christ giving in tangible ways well some person posted along the way that said this place they walk the talk because of just the authenticity of doing and living out what we're supposed to do. So last week, this past uh, Thursday, in fact, I walked through the lobby, and the mound of backpacks that was sitting there was overwhelming and just brought tears when you looked at it. And you all brought those one, two, three, four at a time. And those backpacks all went out uh, to kids in the North End getting ready for school. Thank you. Thank you for doing that and being a part of it. A couple other things for you coming up. Corn roast was mentioned. I do hope that you'll plan on attending that. I hope that you're bringing somebody with you. That's kind of the intent. Uh, it's one of the events, one of the major events that we do that's a non, non-produced event, if you will. There's no real production that's there. Now, there's back behind the scenes stuff. If you talk to Hannah and her team that oversees it, there's a lot of production that goes on. The tables and tents and chairs, even the racks that hold the corn, everything that goes into that. But from an outward appearance approach, we want to make it as easy as possible. There's no program. Just come enjoy the night. It's the perfect opportunity for you to bring someone along with you as an introduction to the church, and hopefully you will do that. Now, I'm going to ask for some of you perhaps to help us if if you're able to do that. If you've been to the corn roast before, and so you know what it's like to go and maybe be new, you know what it's like to go and not sure what to expect, not sure what you're getting into, you could help us. We've got a number of folks that are new to the church. Some of you I'm speaking to you right now, new to the church, maybe you moved to the area. And and one thing I say to people all the time, if you don't want to come alone, invite someone to come with you. So that's the easy answer. But for others of us, we might be new to the area, moving in, just really don't know someone to bring. And there are folks that would say, you know, I'd like to go, but I don't, I don't want to go alone. I don't want to get there and be stuck not knowing anything or knowing anyone or what to do. If you've been there before, maybe you could help us. If you'd stop by the desk out in the lobby that says, it's you desk, and just say, hey, listen, I'm willing to be a, a corn roast host. I got to give them a better term for that, but it's just, that's what I got right now in the moment. Um, you're willing to say, I'm, I'll be at the corn roast and we can tell anybody, listen, if, you're, if you want to come and you, you don't know what to expect, you know, go and look for the big yellow flag or something. We'll tell you what that is. But at that point, you go there, you'll find someone that's waiting for you. Someone say, hey, glad you're here. Here's what to expect. Here's how it's going to go. If you've been there before and you'd be willing to help, help someone else take that first step, just let us know. We'll figure out the details of what that looks like. But if you can help us with that, that would be great. Corn roast is going to, it's always a fun night. Um, we've got jars, of course, going to be there again, which means we'll have helicopter rides available for those that would like to uh, pay a small fee for a helicopter ride. Uh, Andy Chamberlain, uh, who built a, a corn maze, planted a corn maze. They're going to make that available to us out there as well. So it'll be a, a great night, and hopefully you can be a part of that. Second thing I need to bring your attention and ask you to help with is a uh, uh, giving, uh, putting meals together for Anu. Anu is the shelter in town that we participate with in providing meals. We do that uh, two or three times a year where we take a month and we provide meals. If you can help us with that, September is our month. We've got about half of the meals covered, and so we've got about half to go. We can easily get that done by today. If you've never done it before, um, we give you, you can go to Church Center, and Church Center will give you the directions and the instructions on how to do this. It's not huge. You're not, you're not feeding 50 people. You're not feeding 100 people. You're feeding 12 to 15 people. Most of us could do it by ourselves, but my suggestion would be don't do it by yourself. Invite a family member or a neighbor or a friend to come, to come over to the house and say, let's cook together, and let's provide this meal for the shelter. We've got about half of the month covered. We need to cover the other half. If you can go on Church Center and take care of 
of that, that would be great. We want to get that done as soon as we can. It's a real tangible way for us to give to the community. We partner with the new. We're glad to have them there, and we're glad to help out with that. So if you can do that, that'd be great. We're, you know, we're just a couple weeks away from the beginning of September, so we really need to get that done. And hopefully you can see your way to jump in there. This morning we're going to jump into our series. We got, I want to finish it up today. So I'm going to cover a lot of ground. So you're going to have to stick with me as we fly through this. We're continuing in our, in our series called Seven Steps. Those seven steps are the plan for our church, how we're going to grow the church, how we're going to grow the church up, how we're going to grow the church in size and in depth, how we're going to survive, how we're going to be here in the future, how we're going to be here for the next generation. It's not enough to know the purpose of the church. You got to have a plan. And the seven step series is going through our plan. Now, I can't go through all the seven steps. You can go back and look online and you can see the steps along the way as we've been on step number six now for a couple of weeks as we're talking about serving. One of those steps along the way is a person who comes to Christ growing in Jesus, growing up in their faith, takes the next step of joining in to serve. But not just serving out of guilt, not serving out of compulsion, but serving with joy and serving because they realize that the Holy Spirit has given to them gifts and abilities to be used in serving. And that's what we're talking about. We're actually walking through and we're giving some quick definitions to all of the spiritual gifts that are listed in the New Testament. Side note before we keep going. I don't believe, and most biblical scholars would agree with this, we don't believe that the list that we have in the Bible is, an, is a, a closed list, which means we see that list as a descriptive list of different people serving throughout Scripture. But there may be other gifts that get added to the list along the way. We don't think it's a closed list. We think there's room for God in which to still be giving gifts today and enabling new gifts along the way in service. Now, a key for us finding happiness, a key for finding belonging. If you find yourself feeling like, I really like to, to find a place of, of community and commitment together, join in. Because that's usually the first step as we join in with other believers who are serving and we participate in life in the church. And again, not out of obligation. I'm going to end by telling you, I know how to get people to sign up. I guarantee that I can tell you today, I can get people to sign up for multiple things. I, I know how to get it done. But we're not talking about forcing or putting people under compulsion. We're talking about saying, I want in. I want to be a part of that group. I want to serve. And I want to serve with the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, last time we ended by looking at what we call service gifts. We talked about the gift of administration, the gift of helps, and the gift of giving. And this morning, we're going to cover two particular groups of gifts, and we're going to cover them in pretty quick order. Now, the first group we'll look at, we're going to call support gifts. Now, the support gifts I'm going to go through, and admittedly, we're going through them fairly quickly. The support gifts are gifts that typically need to be expressed through other gifts as well. They're not usually standalone gifts, but they work with other gifts. They work hand in hand with other gifts. I'm going to walk through them, and I'll come back and explain it, and you'll see how they, they work beautifully together. So let's begin, and let's begin with, with some of these gifts that we'll look at today as we begin to continue to build our list. And let's talk about the gift of wisdom. Let's start there. Let me give you a definition of wisdom. The divine ability to apply knowledge effectively. The gift of wisdom is the ability to apply knowledge effectively. These are people that know how to use knowledge. Let's admit, let's, be, let's admit, there are a lot of people in life who are very, very knowledgeable, but not necessarily wise. You see, the wise people know how to take the knowledge. They how to take all the stuff that they've accumulated, and they know then how to apply that in very, very concise ways. These people are usually characterized as people with insight. They have insight. They know how to ask the right questions. They have the ability to see or to foresee troubles or problems along the way. People with the gift of wisdom are frequently sought after. They're sought out. There are people in your life that when you're going to make a major decision, oftentimes you'll think to yourself, oh, I need to go ask him. I need to go ask her what they see in this. Why? Well, because chances are they have the gift of wisdom. And you've seen that demonstrated. So you want to seek them out because you want their take on it. You want to get what they see and, and how they would apply things. You've seen them in action. When you're younger, people might say to the person, the gift of wisdom, oh, young, they're wise beyond their years. 
If you're older and you have wisdom, people would say, well, they've grown wise with the years. There's just this idea that they seem to have something about them where they just have a good insight. Interesting, people with a gift of wisdom, first of all, they don't usually see themselves as wise. I would also say that with most spiritual gifts, most people that have the gift don't see themselves as having the gift as such. With wisdom, it fits. Most people with the gift of wisdom don't see themselves as wise. If you talk to them, they just go, well, it just makes sense. People with the gift of wisdom usually see other people and they think to themselves, whatever happened to common sense in this world? Because they just have that ability to see with, with wisdom. They also tend to demonstrate wisdom in multiple areas. People with the gift of wisdom, they have this, this, this sense of wisdom over multiple areas, not specific areas. This is a matter of having a computer question, so you go to the person with computer knowledge. This isn't an issue of having a finance question, so going to the finance people. This is the idea that these people seem to have wisdom in multiple areas of life. You can talk to them about anything, and as they speak, you begin to see that their wisdom goes beyond any particular thing. Now, they are gifted by God to apply knowledge and truth with practical effectiveness and power. Now, what's interesting, when we're seeking out people with the gift of wisdom, after we speak with them and they get done talking, we usually, our response is usually this. All right, how did I not see that before? Well, of course, that just makes sense. It's amazing how often in our lives we can be grappling with something, trying to figure it out, and, I'm, and I see people nodding heads already. This is how it works. We will struggle with something, trying to figure it out, and we'll sit down and talk with a person that has the gift of wisdom, and they speak a sentence or two, and all of a sudden, everything becomes clear. And you walk away going, how is it that for a month I've worked on this thing, and in an hour, I walk away with clarity? That's the gift of God-given gift of wisdom working in our lives. You have the gift of wisdom. Um, you don't usually have to say, hey, I got the gift of wisdom, look at me. Uh, in fact, please don't. Um, <clears throat> usually we'll run from you if you do that and not run to you. But with that, people with the gift of wisdom, they don't have to advertise because you just that sense of I need to go, I, I need them to speak into my life. If you have that gift of wisdom, please use it. It's desperately needed. Every one of us need, at different times, people that will speak into our lives with wisdom. Let's add another lift, a gift, a gift to the list, and that's the gift of knowledge. The gift of knowledge. I'll give you this definition. The God-given ability to accumulate, to analyze, and to use information, specifically knowledge of the Scriptures effectively. Again, take a look at it. The God-given ability to accumulate, to analyze, and to use information, and specifically the knowledge of Scriptures and to use it effectively. People with this gift have the ability to apply the gospel of Jesus to all, every aspect of life. It's amazing. It's amazing how you can be struggling with something over here, and you speak to the person with this gift of knowledge, and they have this ability to work in, here's how the gospel of Jesus Christ fits into that moment right there. Here's how the Scripture ties directly into what you're facing. These people are usually people who like to read, who like to study, and like to process biblical truth. And I would say this, every one of us are called to be in God's Word. So if you don't have the gift of knowledge, you can't say, oh, I, don't, I don't have to study the Bible because I don't have the gift of knowledge. God calls every one of us to be in His Word. Every day we should have a quiet time with God, and regularly we should be in God's Word. That's for every one of us. But for the person with the gift of knowledge, they have this ability that they are drawn not just for a few minutes of quiet time. They're not drawn just to have their quiet time or the reading time with God. They look for that extra time because it's compelling to them. And when they read it, they comprehend it. Uh, some of you will be like me at different times. You look at a passage and you read it and then you go back and say, I got to read that again. And you go back, I got to read that again. And then you keep looking at it saying, what am I missing here? And you read it again, and you have to study it and figure it out and get a book or something else, commentaries to help you with that. The person with the gift of knowledge has this incredible ability, God-given ability. They look at that passage, and while you're looking at it, trying to figure it out, they look at it and go, oh, isn't that good? And you're going, what, what are you looking at? I'm still trying to figure it out. And they go, oh, man, I love the depth of the riches of that verse. They had that ability to not just to study it, but they comprehend it and they get it like right away. 
These gifted people are often considered to be the theological anchors, if you will, in the church. These people have this gift, and, and if you tie this gift in, if you partner with teaching and preaching and counseling, very powerful. What kind of people oftentimes will have this gift? People who love to study, people who love to research. It's kind of how you're wired already. People who have seen and, and uh, biblical passages and truths, and quickly when they see them, they see how they apply to life, and they see how it affects life. I kind of put in my notes, people that have this gift, oftentimes their favorite books are books no one else reads. Uh, the people with the gift of knowledge, oftentimes your favorite books, the things that you love and talk about, when you're talking to people about their latest book, you're going, what are you talking about? Because you kind of live in a little bit of a different world. And yet when you study your books and you read your books, they're not work for you. If you gave it to me, I'd be going, ah, not for you. They're easy going. When I was going through the ordination process many, many years ago to get ordained, uh, they partnered us with different people. So I had a, a study partner in the district I was in studying for ordination. It's about a two-year process. You get a list of books you have to read and papers you have to write and all those kind of things. And one of the books that we were given that we had to, to read and then write was a book called um, Things to Come by Dwight Pentecost. And uh, this fellow is a brilliant professor, and he wrote this book, Things to Come. And this book is every thought, every point of view, and virtually every position on all of the eschatological scriptures. That means end-time scriptures. Any kind of Bible verse that had to do with the return of Jesus, any verse or theological point of view or thought that had to do with end times, he wrote this book about every view you can imagine and the different perspectives. It was hundreds of pages long. We had to study it, and we had to read it, and then we had to write a paper on it. I had a study partner along the way, and we'd get together, and we're looking at the same book at the same time, and we'd get together, and when I was reading it, I would plow my way through it, and he couldn't put it down. You know, we met together, and he was like, oh, this book, fantastic. I started reading. I can't put it down. And I'm thinking to myself, can't put it down. And then he starts talking, he can quote page, and he can quote verse, he can quote paragraphs, oh, you know, on page 383, and whatever. All I wanted to do is to beat him with that book. <laughs> Chances are good, he's got the gift of knowledge. He has that ability to read and to take scripture, analyze it, and immediately understand how to apply that. The difference between and comparing the gift of knowledge and the gift of wisdom Wisdom is the gift that brings to the church and brings to Christians godly direction and guidance. That's what wisdom does. Facing a decision, you seek out wisdom, and it might be guidance emotionally or spiritually or mentally or physically. Knowledge, on the other hand, brings the church foundation. It's got some key people in the church that are able to sit down and lay down biblical foundation and thought process. This is what the Bible teaches on truth and living. It brings in sharper focus. It gives us a standard by which how we operate. Now, let me add another one to that mix because these three happen to walk in hand, and I'll add yet a fourth. But these three walk hand in hand, and this next gift is the gift of discernment. The gift of discernment. Again, our, our definition is the divine ability to distinguish between truth and error, recognizing and judging well things like attitudes, teachings, agendas, and intentions. Look at it again. Divine ability to distinguish between truth and error, recognizing and judging well attitudes, things like attitudes, teachings, agendas, and intentions. First thing let me say, this gift of discernment is not the gift of knowing right from wrong. You see, a lot of people say, oh, it's the gift of knowing right from wrong, which means you get a pass that you can do the wrong things because you don't have the gift. Nope. None of us stands before God and says, well, I didn't know right or wrong because I didn't have the gift of discernment. Nope. You know right from wrong, and you need to do the right thing. This is the Holy Spirit-given ability to distinguish between that which is truthful and honest or wholesome or helpful against that which is false or hurtful, uh, distrustful. It's that ability to discern. In, in difficult decisions, in those difficult moments, I should say, making decisions, the gift of discernment can be helpful. As you're presented with information, you have to make a decision. Discernment is incredibly helpful. In counseling, in relational ministry, the ability to discern people's motives is very much needed. And to see past words and to see intent or agendas. 
My wife has, has demonstrated this gift through our years of, of ministry together, and it's a, a very helpful at times to say to Diane, hey, here's the situation I'm at. What do you see? What do you feel? What do you hear? Now, I may not listen to her, but it's good to ask. It's good to ask. She's got discernment. She can speak into something and say, well, I see this. And oftentimes when you have someone speaking into your life, and I would suggest this, oftentimes God will give us discernment, gift of discernment in another case, someone else's case in helping with them. But oftentimes in our own lives, we may struggle and need the gift of discernment from someone else to speak into your life. I was teaching a class on gifts years ago, and I came to this gift. I was defining this gift of discernment, and there was a, a pause where I stopped to take a breath, and one of the young men in the group says, man, that sounds just like my mother. Well, your mother could have the gift of discernment, or she could have lots of years of experience watching you, which sounds like discernment, when in fact, she's just really, really wise because she's seen your life in action and her own life in action. Um, if you have this gift of discernment, once again, people don't usually proclaim, hey, I'm the discerner. Uh, they're usually sought out because they have that ability to see and to speak into things. Let's put out one more gift into this group, and that's the gift of faith. The gift of faith. And know how churches need people with the gift of faith. The gift of faith, the God-given ability to see the Lord's will and to act on it with unwavering belief in his ability. The people with the gift of faith, they have the ability to see what God wants to do. They see God's will. And then they have this ability to go act on it. They have the ability to go and live as if God has already done what he said he would do. That's that gift of faith. Um, aren't we all supposed to have faith? Absolutely. Every one of us, every man and woman is called to place their faith in Jesus Christ. Every one of us is called to live our lives by faith. But the gift of faith is a little bit different. The gift of faith goes beyond all of that. Faith people in a moment of decision. Faith people in a moment of crisis. Faith people in a moment of action. They just know what God wants to do and have the ability to proclaim it and act on it. As I said, as is, is, is if God has already done it. Faith people have the ability to take God's word for what it says, to believe it, to accept it, confident that God will keep his word. Now, a quick side note for you. This is different than just positive thinkers. The gift of faith is different than just people who are just positive thinkers. Now, please know we need positive thinkers. In fact, I would invite you, if you're a positive thinker, just circle around me. I love positive thinkers. We need more positive thinkers. But let me also tell you, you can get in big trouble with positive thinkers. You can get in big trouble when you say to someone, hey, I think God's calling me to do this. And they go, yeah, do it. You'll be great at it. Well, you know what? Maybe you will be great at it, or maybe they don't know what they're talking about. Maybe they're just one of those people, everything's great, everything's good. Now, please know we need that energy, but you need more than that. And these people with the gift of faith are not just positive thinkers. People of faith have the ability to hear from God and know what God wants to do. You see, with this gift of faith, they simply know what a God is going to do, and then they act accordingly. They live, as I said, as if it's already been done. The gift of faith is absolutely essential, absolutely essential in a powerful, vibrant church. If the church is going to be alive and well, it needs people with the gift of faith. You see, people with the gift of faith, they transform dead churches into live, living churches because they have this ability, even in dark moments. You can look at a culture around you right now, it looks a little dark. And you've got people with faith that go and say, man, what a great time for the church to be alive. God's called us to do this, and he's going to do a great thing. That's not positive thinking. That's someone who knows what God wants to do in this culture in which we live. And for some of us, we get so caught up in the shadows of the darkness of the culture, the person with that gift of faith calls us back to action because we have a God we can trust. They, it's a powerful gift. Sometimes the gift is seen in dramatic ways, sometimes in subtle ways. I'll give you a dramatic case. 
Years ago, in one of the churches I was pastoring, uh, I didn't know that there was a, a, a balloon payment coming on a mortgage that we had. It wasn't huge, 13000 but we only had 50 people. So 13000 was not something we had budgeted and we didn't have. We'd just gone through a number of other things. And uh, I, I didn't know that we had this payment until I got a letter in the mail from the bank that said, don't forget your payments due like in you know, next Tuesday. And so I, you know, assembled some of the leaders and said, that, you know, we have a blue payment? And they get kind of like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Well, we should probably do something about that. So we had two Sundays, about 10 days. So I got up on Sunday and told the church, I said, listen, folks, this big group of 50, we've got uh, a balloon payment cup, $13,000, and we don't have $13,000, and this payment is due. Um, we're going to take an offering next week. This week, get you ready for it. We'll take an offering next week. Uh, we believe we can raise the money, get this done, and get this taken care of. And uh, that's what we'll do. And so we went that week, came next week, we took an offering. And we had one guy in the church one guy that had said to me, pulled me aside, and it said along the way, he said, you know, God's going to do this. Now, sometimes you can't tell what's just positive thinking, but, you know, he said, God's going to do this. And say, oh, great. You know, he'll do it. So wouldn't you know, we take the offering. Guess how much money we got? $4,000. <laughs> Not $13,000, $4,000. And I was like, okay, $4,000. This guy was one of the leaders, and so he knew what was going on. And he goes, how, how much do we get in the offering? I said, $4,000. He goes, okay, write the check. God's going to do this. I said, well, let me get this right. We have $4,000. And he said, just write the check because God's going to do this. So I said to him, I said, well, let me, let me just be real clear here. Um, are you, do you have $9,000 that you're going to give so you can say write the check? Nope, I don't got it. But God's going to do it. Go write it. Now, admittedly, here's the problem. I think he had the gift of faith. I clearly did not have the gift of faith. And that can be the problem sometimes. And so we had this dialogue. I said, you know, uh, we get, God's, if God's going to do this, he better do it pretty quickly because this is a Sunday night and Tuesday's coming. He goes, yep, don't worry about it. You can write the check. God's going to do this thing. Okay. I, I confess I didn't write the check. I said, okay, but I was just saying, okay, to hang up. I didn't say, okay, I was going to do this thing. Hung up the phone. Monday's mail came. Had a check in the mail. $9,000. Not from him. We had a grand total of $13,112. Tuesday, I took the check to the bank. I walked in and gave it to them, and the woman said, okay, thank you very much. Oh, one problem. There's a filing fee of $100. I said, no problem. I've got $13,112. And we got done. We had $12 left over. I got home. I went and I called the guy. I said, you're not going to believe this. $13,112. And you know what? He wasn't nearly as excited as I was. In fact, his response was the same as it had been all along. And he said, well, of course it was. I told you God was going to do it. That's the gift of faith. Now, let me be real clear here about this particular case and, and what I've also seen in people's lives, and that is that's the gift of faith in action, but I'd also say this guy wasn't a positive thinker. You know, again, when he said it, the one thing that caught my mind and caught my eye, I should say, is that this is a guy that doesn't live this way. This is not a guy that every time the church has a venture, he goes, yep, God's in it, he'll do it. This is not a guy like that. So when this guy said, God's going to do it, kind of got my attention, and God did it. That's the gift of faith. Now, in this case, we had a bunch of faithful people, along with somebody who wanted to remain anonymous, who had the gift of giving, that had this all come together and to make it happen. That's the gift of faith. Now, oftentimes, this gift is not necessarily associated with just a person, but oftentimes as seen as spread out through the body at many different times. So it's not the faith person you go to, but it's the gift of faith that shows up and you say that is clearly of God. The book of James says this, anyone sick among you? Call for the elders to anoint with oil and, to, and what will happen, it says, and the prayer of faith will heal the sick. Well, who is faith? Well, it could be the person who's asking for prayer it could be the faith of one of those people in the group praying. In fact, I'll give you a little tip along the way. If you're ever in a crisis moment, 
You ever have a moment when you're not exactly sure how to pray, then pray this prayer. Lord, I don't exactly know how to pray, but in this moment, I'm going to pray that you give someone in my life the gift of faith. You give someone the gift that says, God, I know exactly what you're going to do, and I'm going to act accordingly, as if you've already done it. Churches seeking to do big things. Churches seeking to fundraise, churches seeking to do big projects, churches seeking to do new ministries, they need people with a gift of faith that have a moment where they hear from God and they can say to the church body, God's going to do this thing. Let's go. Now listen, when you use your gift of faith, you encourage the whole body. Now admittedly, when you use your gift, we might look at you a little odd, might be a guy like me who says, you know, it's easy to say, write the check, but uh, I'm not sure. But when you use your gift, you encourage the whole body and you point people to the power of God. Now, all of these last four gifts, wisdom, knowledge, discernment, faith, I started by saying <clears throat> they're support gifts. And so let me kind of paint that picture for you so you see, you see how it works. You see, <clears throat> there are different gifts we've talked about in the past, service gifts we've talked about, speaking gifts, people-intensive gifts. But remember, the spiritual gifts are given for service within the body of Christ. They're given to build the church, to build each other up. So what good is it in the church for a person to sit in the third row or the fourth or eighth or second? I just I wrote, had to write extras down because I said third row at one point. And sure enough, people are going to look at the third row to say, well, who's sitting there? So third, second, fourth, pick your row. What good is it for you to sit in the row and to say, yep, I got the gift of faith? <clears throat> so What? I mean, what good does that do for the church that you proclaim, I have the gift of faith? But now look what happens when you take the gift of faith and tie it with the gift of giving. Powerful. In fact, I would suggest to you that through the years where I've seen the gift of giving, I've never seen someone that has the gift of giving that does not have the gift of faith. Doesn't that just make sense? A person with a gift of generosity and giving, they're going to base that on the ability where they just know that God's faithful and God's going to meet their need. See, it walks hand in hand. How about wisdom? Someone says, well, I have the gift of wisdom. Well, great. What do you do with that? Well, I I like to sit and think wise thoughts. Well, you and the scarecrow, congratulations on that. But what good does it do to the church? But listen, take the gift of wisdom and tie it in with teaching. Take wisdom and put it with the gift of, of, of knowledge and connect it with preaching. Powerful stuff when you apply it in that way? Or how about the gift of discernment? Well, I have the ability to discern truth and error. Good, what do you do with that? Well, every Sunday we go home and pick apart the sermon. (laughs) Well, welcome, you can join our house. We do the same thing at lunch every Sunday. We'd love to have you. But beyond that, what do you do with that? Take discernment, put it in with shepherding. Take discernment, put it in with teaching. Take discernment, put it in with mercy gifts or encouragement. And man, you get to see the power of God, the genius of God, as he puts gifts together for his kingdom. Now, these are the support gifts. Now, let's talk real quickly about this last gift. I should have told you beforehand that I'm going to cover all of the gifts, and I'm going to cover the last step, which is step seven. Now, if you tend to be people, look at your clock or your watch. Just so you know, when I preach, I never look at the clock. Um, If you look at your watch, you're going to think, how is he possibly going to get through all this? Trust me, we'll get to step seven just fine. It's a short, short step. But before that, there's a last group of gifts that we'll call the ecstatic gifts. These are the supernatural gifts. These are the gifts that some of you have been waiting for, the the charismatic gifts or what's called the supernatural gifts. And these gifts are the gifts like tongues, interpretation, healing, miracles, and apostleship. Now, these could all be under support gifts, but they are kind of unique to themselves. And these gifts, this particular group of gifts, like, like no other gifts in Scripture, have been at the center of more, more division, um, more debate, and more controversy than any other gifts throughout the history of the church. Now, notice I said they've been at the center of, not the cause of. I didn't say the gift of tongues have been the cause of more debate. I said the gift of tongues have been the center of more debate and more division and more controversy. Now, the poster child for this group of gifts would be the gift of tongues. Some of you have been waiting for me to get there, and I can guarantee that you'll probably be disappointed when I get done, but stick with me as we walk through these particular gifts because I don't have time to go into the depth of each one. But let me start with the gift of tongues. The gift of tongues. Let me give you a definition. The divine enablement to speak in unknown languages. I'll keep it really simple. 
The gift of tongues is a divine enablement to speak in unknown languages. Now, within that definition, there are two views on the term languages that are out there. I talked to someone already this morning that confirmed there's different views. The one, the one view of the term languages would be the idea where if I'm the speaker in tongues and I don't speak Spanish and all of a sudden I can speak Spanish. You know, it's an unknown language to me. I don't speak the language, but I find myself in a setting where I, are, I can automatically, by God's Spirit, speak in a language that the people around me can understand or hear. We see this from Scripture. We see it in uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 4. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? So we have this picture from Scripture. We have the, uh, the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes. There's people from every walk of life, every, every part of the world that are there. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes on these group of Galileans that wouldn't be able to speak all of these languages. And they're speaking all of these languages. And people can hear the gospel story in their own language. So that's one view that would say it's a language, unknown language, but it's a known language that we could speak. Now add to that, what others would add to the definition as well, is that by language, maybe it's also a prayer language, a language given by God specifically, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. There are some that would also believe that there's this prayer language that God gives, that God gives this tongue, this ability to speak in an unknown language, unknown to anyone other than to God, which is why the gift of interpretation comes into play. So some hold to that as well. Now, with any position that's debatable, with any kind of thing that's controversial, there's always two sides. There's always two sides and then a reasonable middle. There's always a group over here. There's always a group over here. And what you always try to find is what's the reasonable middle? Well, the same thing happens with the gift of tongues and these other gifts. So let me tell you the sides, if you will. Now, some of you, let me pause real quick. Some of you new to the church, you know nothing about what I'm talking about other than you've heard a little bit about tongues and it makes you nervous. Don't be nervous. That was not the intent by God at all. Others of you aren't nervous. You just don't know anything about it. Others of you know all about it, and you've been waiting for this moment to see exactly how we're going to land. So stick with me here as I go through two sides. So first side says, believes that tongues are not for today. There are a group of Christians, group of pastors out there that are very, very strong, very opinionated that the gift of tongues and these other gifts are not for today. What that means is that God stopped giving these tongues at the end of what's called the apostolic age. That's the age where they had the birth of the church, the church was growing, missions movement taking place, and there are some that would believe that there's a certain point in time where God said these gifts are no longer for today, so God is not giving those gifts for today. It's called dispensational theology. Dispensations means there's different periods of time, and after this one period of time, the gifts all, the, these gifts stopped that God doesn't give those gifts any longer. It also, I mean, I'm just giving you some terms so you can be really, you know, feel good about yourself and educated. It's also called being a cessationist, which means you believe the gifts ceased, that they no longer are for today. Now, if you hold to that position, and in our church, we have people from many different walks, there are probably people here that hold to that position. If you do hold to that position, let me caution you. If you hold to that position, you are very, very close to playing God. So you better be careful. You say, well, how am I playing God? Well, two ways. Number one, playing God by declaring that something is not for today where God has the sole authority to make that declaration. God determines when the gifts are used, how and when, not us. So be very careful when you declare that something is not for today, something that was indeed and is indeed God-given, because you can very, very close to taking his job. Last I looked, he was not looking to offer the job up. Second thing I would say to you, be very careful, because you play God also by virtue of your view, also putting everyone else in judgment. Think about it. If your view says, no gifts for today, anyone who believes those gifts are for today, what do you do with them? Got to be wrong. If they're wrong, are they believing in heresy? Are they practicing untruth? 
What do you do with them? So be very, very careful when you make those positions because in doing that, you place them in judgment. Now, of course, there's another side, if you would, and I, wish I, also, I should also say to that, that in, to most people that I've, through the years, have dealt with, that emphatically hold to a position that says, these gifts are not for today. For most of them, this is just my observation, for most of them, I found that they fall into a category that kind of goes along with the old adage, and that is this, we are usually against that with which we are uncomfortable, we're usually against the stuff that we are uncomfortable with. Now, there's a question that usually on people's minds when I'm talking about the gift of tongues, and that is this. So, Scott, have you spoken in tongues? I do not speak in tongues. I have not spoken in tongues. But I would also say I'm not uncomfortable with it because I actually grew, out, grew up in the culture. You see, for some of us, we don't even like talking about it because it's so, un- so unknown to us, it makes us uncomfortable. I am not uncomfortable. I grew up in a culture where it was the norm. So I grew up in my, grand- my grandparents' church, so they lived pretty close to us, so at least eight times a year, at least maybe more, we would go visit my grandparents and we'd go to their church. Their church was as Pentecostal, as, as charismatic, as, as tongues-driven as it could possibly be. So we go to that church. The downside of that, in one sense, as a kid, young kid, we're going into a, my church. It would be an hour service. We're going to a two- to three-hour service. So I got to tell you right now, as a kid, that was a little disconcerting. Except I've been there long enough to know that when the quote-unquote Holy Spirit came and the show started, it was worth waiting for. <laughs> and so, you know, two or three hours, it was worth waiting for. And we always sat in the same row with my grandparents. And right in front of us, everyone had their signed seats. And right in front of us, there's a red-haired woman. She was 90 years old, 90 years old, bright red hair. And though she was 90, when the quote-unquote spirit came into the service, she would jump up and she would start dancing and singing and speaking in tongues. And she was, she was 90, but she acted like she was 20 years old. Now that I'm a little older and I get up stiff in the morning, I pray for her, her vibrancy at, that, at, my, at, that, at my age right now. And we would sit there and watch this, this, this service unfold. People dance and shout now, speaking in tongues. And you need to know it didn't frighten me or alarm me or scare me. You know why? I've been with those people and I know they love Jesus. And so being in the environment was a, an, an environment of, I could accept it. But God's never given me that gift of tongues. But it doesn't frighten me or scare me. But that is not the gift that God has chosen to give me. Now, as I said, there's two sides. And then, of course, there is a a good middle. And the good middle is what we always strive to find. Now, let me give you the other side. So the one says, no tongues for today. The other side says this, tongues are for today. And in fact, and I'm going to two extremes here. So one says, no tongues, none of those gifts for today. Other side says, yes, they are for today. And in fact, not only are they for today, but if you have the Holy Spirit, you will speak in tongues. It's a sign gift. Anyone who has said yes to Jesus and legitimately has the Holy Spirit in their life, they will speak in tongues. If they do not speak in tongues, something's wrong. Something's not right. That's the other side of that. And I expect, as I've even chatted with folks today, there are people in the church here, because we tend to find the middle ground here, that there are people that would hold to that view. So if you hold to that view, let me give you a caution. You need to beware, because if you hold to that view, you are very, very close to playing God. So you better be careful. You say, well, well, how am I playing God? Well, number one, same reasoning. Number one, by declaring something to be that only God has the authority to declare. When you declare that every single person who has the Holy Spirit must speak in tongues, you're making the declaration that only God can make. So be very careful about that. And the second reason why it looks like you're playing God is because, same thing, your position holds all sorts of people in judgment. If you take the view that says, if you're a believer, you speak in tongues, look around you, anyone who doesn't, what are you going to do with them? What's wrong with them? Now you've got to sit in judgment of them. That is not how God operates. That is, God has not given any one of us the position to be his sole authority on earth. So be very, very careful. And in all honesty, the people that I know that hold to this position, oftentimes, not always, oftentimes are more after the emotion, the emotional or the experience of the moment and not satisfied with the simple substance and confidence in who God is. They need the experiential moment of it. Now, let me sit, just pause for a moment. Do you see the sheer joy that Satan has 
getting his church to be divided upon such things. Friends, listen carefully. There is no greater joy that the evil one has than to think that he can get God's people judging one another. Very sincerely, for the, for the world of Satan, it doesn't get any better than for us judging one another. It's not more grieving for the Holy Spirit than for that to have happened. So let's find the biblical balance, if you will, and there is one. To that end, let me give you a number of statements that would reflect where we're at at church and, and where I land biblically and theologically as we go forward. Four statements. First statement is this. These gifts... The gifts, the signs and wonders gifts, the tongues and the healings, those things. These gifts are given by the Holy Spirit and they are in effect today. They haven't ceased. God is still using those gifts and still gives those gifts. And when they are used properly and with sensitivity, they edify the body of Christ. And when they are used improperly, they expose people for their pride and they do damage in the church. But they are for today. Second thing I would say is that Scripture gives very specific guidelines for how and when these gifts are to be used. And within the church body context, the spiritual leaders of the church determine how they get used in the church. Now, some of you say, you know, I've been in the church a long time. I've never seen the gift of tongues used here. That's because in our setting, we would say the appropriate place for that would be in a private setting, in a smaller group in that setting, but not in this public setting. This is not the place where we would see those gifts of tongues being used. But they are still in use today, and we have people in our church that do indeed have the gift of tongues and use them. A third comment would be this, that believers are not to seek out these gifts. Believers are not to seek out these gifts. Tongues is a gift which is, I'll just use that as an example, tongues is a gift which is easily counterfeited. Easily counterfeited. Talking about seeking out. I got a note from a pastor friend some time ago that just said, hey, I was just in a church, and guess what? They have a class on how to speak in tongues. I mean, quite literally, you can take the class, and they'll take you how to speak in tongues. Now, listen, I'm not trying to be judgmental on that at all, but I find myself saying, if it's a spiritual gift that God gives, I don't think you have to have a class to go figure that out. So don't seek it out. It's a gift that's so easily counterfeited. Now, let me hear this out. It's pretty hard to fake mercy. It's pretty hard to counterfeit encouragement, pretty hard to counterfeit helps or counterfeit giving. If you want to seek out a gift, how come no one seeks out the gift of giving? <laughs> you know, I want, I want to be a big giver. No, we seek out the ones that are so easily counterfeited, so don't seek out the gifts. Fourth thing I would say is this, these, I think these are special gifts, and so name them, because I believe that they are most often most profoundly used as not a permanent gift associated to a person, but given in a moment, where in a moment God said, I can do my best work by this gift in this moment, and this gift in this moment, and not necessarily associated to a person uh, over a long period of time, but using God, using them in different times. Let me add the other definitions here because you'll see how it all comes together. Like the gift of healing. Let's add that definition in. The gift of healing. The divine enablement to be God's channel to restore people's health. To restore their whole health, maybe physically or emotionally or spiritually. And right on the same heels of that, let's bring in the gift of miracles because it fits as well. The gift of miracles, the divine enablement to effect powerful acts which authenticate the message of Christ and the glory of God. Miracles. Now, real quickly in both of these, this is not a case of someone being the healer. See, we get in trouble when we begin to think that the gifts are assigned to a person and their name associated with it. This is not seeking out the healer. This is now seeking out the miracle worker. You see how that we get off track that way? That all of a sudden, it doesn't become God doing the gifts. It becomes a person who has the gift. Years ago, my mom had cancer twice in her life. When I was about 10 years old, and uh, she had breast cancer and went to a radical mastectomy at that point. I was in college when I got the call that said she had a reoccurrence. Uh, now, by God's grace, she lived, uh, you know, over 90 plus years. And so we just buried her a couple years ago. So this was back when I was in college. And I came home that summer and she was going through radiation treatment. And so I was a theology major. I'm a senior in college at that point, a junior in college. I came home for that summer. And I was sitting here one night, and she was watching one of these faith healers on TV. And the guy came on and said this. He said, if you're sick, you've got cancer, you're battling sickness, just get up right where you're at and put your hand on the screen. 
and let my healing flow through the screen to you. And she looked at me and she said, what do I do with that? And I said, I'm just a junior in Bible and theology. (laughs) And so we talked about it. And what's interesting is she said this. She said, you know, I trust God. I do trust him. And yet when I watch that, it makes me think, maybe I'm doing something wrong. Maybe, maybe I should go touch that screen. And we sat there and talked. And I'm, yeah, I have to tell you, I'm just forming my own theology. But I sat there thinking, I don't think it's touching the screen. I don't think it's because this guy has the title healer. And see, that's where we have to be careful, that when we look at the gifts, it's not the healer, it's not the miracle worker. In fact, in Scripture, the Bible actually uses the word gift of healings, plural, not healing. And one writer wrote this, that whenever a person seeks out God's hand and is healed, they receive the gift of healing. So the gift of healing happens whenever healing takes place. The gift has happened. So it might be through the person receiving it. It might be somebody praying that gift, that prayer of faith over a person. But don't get wrapped up in the person having this gift of healing or the miracle worker. And let me give you a last definition here, and that's apostleship. Uh, I'm going to give it a modern definition for us today, apostleship. It's the divine enablement to begin new ministries and spiritual ventures with confidence and power. If you go back into the New Testament and look at this gift of apostleship, it was often uh, uh, translated as the gift of the missionary gift. Because what was happening is there were people being sent out as missionaries, and these weren't people just being sent. These were people called by God to go. They were going to go into incredibly difficult areas where the gospel of Jesus Christ has not ever been told before, and they're going to tell the story and start a church. And oftentimes with the gift of apostleship, we would see the gift of faith, see the gift of miracles, see the gift of tongues, all of those gifts, because they'd be going into a place where they would have to authenticate the message of Jesus. They're talking about Jesus, say, well, who is Jesus? He's the one that can heal the sick. And of course, they could heal the sick. And they'd see these, these miracles that would happen that would authenticate the story of Jesus. And we see it in the church today, people who are willing to step out in bold ways in which to start ministries and start new, um, new ministries within the church and do so with absolute confidence is what God is going to do. Oftentimes, these gifts were seen with the gift of evangelism. Miracles of faith, those kind of things. And today we still see that gift being used even locally in the church for people who would say, I feel God's calling me to start this ministry and I see a vision for it and to go and to start it and do that accordingly. Now, let me wrap up this, this section of the gifts, this step, this last step, sixth step with a couple of things and then I'll give you that seventh step. Now, friends, listen, these past few weeks, I can't tell you the number of people who've come up to me after we've listed these gifts and have said, I got to tell you, 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 you were talking to me. I didn't, you know, you talked about administration and I, I always felt that that was me and my gift, but no one ever affirmed that, that God gave me that. And numbers of people with tears have said, you spoke, you were speaking to me and the power that happened in that moment where they realized that God gave me that gift and he wants me to use it. Yeah, yeah, he does want you to use it. It is you. It's you that God has gifted. It's you that God has empowered. It's you that God, he desperately wants you to feel that sense of belonging. And for many of us, it will start when you take that step to join and to use your gifts accordingly. Yes, it's you. And you're using those gifts. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've been given a spiritual gift. Are you using it? The reason we have this campaign, if you will, it's you, is because there's so many people that are occupying seats that are not saying, well, I'm in. I want to use my gift for the body. Are you using your gift? Join in. But don't get all wrapped up in knowing which gift. Just join in and start. I've learned through the years that when you just join in, the gifts get clearer and you can figure out as you go. But just join in. But join in not because of guilt, not because of me trying to fool you into it. I know how to do it. I'll end with this kind of illustration and then the last step. See, I know how to get you to sign up. Let's say we need children's workers in the nursery. I've got a little granddaughter now who's in the church. She's, her name's Remy. I could have Remy come up now. She's cute as can be. That happens to be my opinion, but she's cute as can be. I could have her come up here, and I have her come up. I actually thought of doing this, but I thought, boy, that's pressure. When they, what, if it, what if it goes wrong? Poor kid's traumatized for life, so I wouldn't do that to her. But I could have Remy come up today, have her come on stage, sit right here. I put a chair out here, sit here, and I put Remy in my lap. I say, hey, Remy, how you doing? I'm doing good, Grandpa. 
And everybody would go, oh, look at Remy. And I would say, hey, do you like the nursery? She'd go, uh-huh. Do you like playing with everybody? Yeah. You like Harley? He, he's one of our nurses. Yeah. And then, when well, you can't see it, I reach behind her and I grab the soft spot of her, her arm right there. And I get ready to pinch it and I say, would, you, would it hurt real bad if all of a sudden we couldn't have nursery because we didn't have any workers? And right then I pinch her. And she goes, oh, it hurts, Grandpa. And I go, yes, it does hurt. <laughs> It does hurt, doesn't it, sweetheart? Thinking that we don't have workers in the nursery. Oh, and I, I say to you, look at her tears. Listen, I'm, we get done today. You go out to that table and you sign up because kids like Remy, she's waiting for you. And then I'll offer a prayer and we'll stand and a whole group of you will run right out there and sign up. Why? Because you have been tricked. Because you've been manipulated. Listen carefully. This church will not manipulate anyone into service. Very sincerely, I will close a ministry that needs to end if people won't step up to serve before we will manipulate people to serve. Because if we manipulate you, how long will you serve? until the first opportunity to get out. And then what happens is I have to really up my game next time because I fooled you once. I have to work harder to fool you twice. And so I stand before you to say, there's a whole world of belonging waiting for you. I'm not gonna guilt you into it. Step up. And that is our last step. Step number seven is this, and this we end. The growing and maturing follower of Jesus begins to live out the plan in their own life beginning by developing friendships of integrity, dot, 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 which means this. The, the plan's complete. We started by building relationships, by having a verbal witness, by bringing someone to a corn roast to the church, by getting in a small group, by growing in their faith, by serving, and now this person who at one point cared nothing about spiritual things, and now they're loving God, and they're loving the church, they now start serving themselves, and they begin the same cycle by them having relationships of integrity, and off it goes. Step seven's pretty easy. We just keep reproducing the cycle. But please know, ending thing here, it never happens just in quite that clean. One, two, three. The steps jump all over the place. And with this, my final story we do, we end. I, uh, you need to know if you're new or visiting, first time you walk into church, if I happen to see you, it's always a little mystery to me why you're here. I have always said through life that I think God got me early in life in the church because I think if he didn't get me early, I wouldn't be here. I can think of a thousand things to do on a Sunday morning. And so when I see people walk in that I've never seen before, there's always a little question mark that goes, I wonder what brought them here. One particular Sunday, a young couple came and sat right over here, about three or four rows, sat right here. And I I just saw them, it it just caught my attention. So I made it a point to go talk to them. And I found out that they're not even sure why they were here. They just felt like they just should come to church. No church background. And of course, it's a mystery to me. I go, really? And, and like, that's it? And you came? I mean, let's be honest. A lot of us feel like we need something and we just keep driving by. See, the call of God's in all of our lives. But for a lot of us, we just don't listen to it. But they listen. So I could intrigued. I go, really? So I got to know them and talk. They'd come every week after week. They'd say hi. We'd chat a little bit. Um, they were faithful. And then one Sunday, they brought another couple with them, two young couples. I mean, so they were young themselves. They brought another couple with them. And I saw it happen, noticed them, said hi to them. They're here for a couple weeks. And then one Sunday, I get them preaching. I'm standing right down here. And the first couple that had been here for a couple of months, they come over, bringing, dragging the other couple with them. And they come over to me and saying, tell him, tell him, tell him, tell Pastor Scott, tell him. So whenever someone comes and someone's bringing somebody else and they're saying, tell him, I usually jump in pretty quick because usually it means they want you to tell something that you don't want to tell. So I jump in and say, hey, oh, I don't know what they're trying to get you to tell, but just so you know, you don't have to tell me anything. Yes, they do. And they go, so then they tell. They say, we'll tell them. They accepted Jesus in their lives. They're followers of Jesus. And you know what? We haven't even done that yet. I said, so really? So I look at this young couple who looked at deer in the headlights. He looks just like staring at me. I said, so you invited Jesus and your Christ in your life? And they go, yep. I said, congratulations. I said, man, yay. 
I said, welcome to God's family. We love having you. And I talked to them for a little bit. And then the other couple sitting there saying, we haven't even done that yet. So I look back at them and I'm going, well, why haven't you? What's holding you back from becoming a follower of Jesus? And that morning, right here, it led them to be followers of Jesus. You see, the steps don't follow in order. What happens, friends, when you begin living out the mission, God takes care of the rest. So would you join us in living out the mission? If you've never given your life to Jesus, start there. Follower of Jesus, join us. Let's stand and pray. Lord Jesus, raise up in this church people who will say, I'm all in. I'm in. My sense of belonging, commitment, is, yeah, I'm going to belong because I serve and I'm, I'm together with this body for the person who's ever given their life to you. Maybe today would be the starting place for them. Dismiss us in your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.